to the Momnificent Podcast. This is the place where we help parents live a happy, healthy life with their kids. We're going to show you how to connect with your child and help them even in their most difficult moments as we hear from experts in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Karin Jakubowski, an international speaker, public school principal, and former struggling student. The Momnificent Podcast equips parents with science-based strategies to help you live a happy, healthy life with your kids. Welcome. Gina Wilson, author of Skills That Build, The Hard Science of Soft Skills for Work and Life, just published this year in June. She's with me today to help us understand how her work can help moms raise happy, healthy kids. She's a holistic executive coach, and I asked her to join me today to help talk about how moms can learn better ways of communicating with her child when things get tough. So Gina, welcome to Momnificent. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So Gina, your degree is in cognitive psychology from Villanova. What led you into this field and how did your work in this field help you in communicating with your kids? Sure. Well, I, I studied undergrad psychology and went to graduate school for cognitive psychology. And um, I worked uh, after grad school as a software developer and a management consultant and then um, <clears throat> decided to get back into psychology directly and uh, became certified as a coach and recently wrote a book to bring coaching to a wider audience. Um, so uh, some of these uh, learnings from psychology have influenced my parenting style, um, particularly when it comes to uh, communication with my children. Uh, I knew from my studies how important language is in developing um, children who are confident and can express themselves and um, can really, uh, you know, develop a self-esteem. So I encouraged the communication from an early age. I really uh, felt strongly about reading to my kids, about um, talking about the way other people behaved and their communication style. Um, and so I emphasize that it was all throughout, even from day one, you know, before they were even really speaking, we held conversations because as we know, children take in a lot more than they can express, right? And so as their language skills develop, they're, so does their expression. But of course, they're learning all along, right? So we've had some wonderful conversations and I, my children have um, become very good communicators, I'm, I must say. <laughs> Um, and the thing is, uh, with the background in psychology, it wasn't just communication. It was just uh, an, an experience of knowing, you know, how people learn and how people become motivated. And so I used that throughout my parenting. And I feel like uh, my children benefited from it and I benefited from it, um, knowing some of those skills as a parent. And I think that's so helpful because I have your book right here. And I am like halfway through it. Okay, I didn't make it full the way through that I wanted to. But hey, uh, but it's really made me stop and and think of, and reflect even this week on things that I say, how I interact in my communication. And um, even though I know like primarily it's for like executives and 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 for those who are you know aspiring to lead and how do you work through those problems with, within teams. There were so many things in here that I could totally relate with day to day that I was thinking of moms who are listening and I'm like, wait, this could really help. And this is a great tip, trick and tool. So I'm so excited to share for you to share some of those with us today. So in in one of the areas of the, of the book, 
you talk about hardship and right now, like in last year, who hasn't experienced hardships. So what's one thing maybe our listeners who are here today maybe could take away from facing a hardship within their family? Um, what, what, what steps would you walk us through with that? Sure. Um, of course, hardship is part of life. And um, a lot of what we do and the behaviors that we um, exhibit help in preparing us for hardship, right? So I think of it as preventive medicine and that uh, if we start to develop ourselves in such a way that um, we can uh, boost our positive emotions in ways that we can uh, garner positivity, positivity throughout our lives, we're better positioned for when those tough times uh, arise and we are more become more resilient as a result. So by doing things like um, you know, trying to boost our psychological needs. We have three basic psychological needs, right? They're autonomy, competency, relatedness, and there are ways that we can act to bring those uh, to bear on our everyday lives. So by interacting more with people, whether it be strangers, family members, whoever, um, making connections, making meaningful connections, that's one way that we have um, in our toolkit to build our reserves. Another thing is autonomy. So recognizing that we have choices for ourselves. We can make deliberate choices that benefit us. And um, you know things are within our control. So by identifying that, which is a hard thing for some people to do, they think everything's just happening to them and they're just kind of at the whim of everyone else. They're really not. There's so many things we actually um, sort of take for granted that we don't know that we've made a decision for ourselves. Now, maybe we didn't make a great decision, but we can uh, adjust our uh, decisions to better uh, suit us. So autonomy, we have to really exercise autonomy. And the last one being competency. So uh, by exhibiting behaviors that allow us to express what we're good at is a way to boost our own self-esteem, right? So if you, you know, if you're a really great musician, um, you know, maybe that means playing in a band or playing for others or performing or singing, whatever that is. Um, it might mean, um, you know, you're really good at organizing things so you get involved in the community. You're part of an organization, you're volunteering and you're using your skills. It doesn't have to be at a job. It could be anywhere. You know, you're using what you're good at on a regular basis so that you have these ways of building your own self up. So a lot of these go very far in terms of creating a reserve that we can draw from when times get hard and help us sustain hardship and overcome barriers that come in, you know, that, that just pop up in life. Yeah. And so many times I think as parents, we, we kind of like want to protect our kids from that you know, it's like you don't want them almost sometimes to go through what you went through, but it was really the hardest times you went through that really made you who you were today. And so as hard as that is, it's like you, you do have to let them either, you know, stumble or fail forward or, you know, fa like not be afraid of that hardship because of what it's going to create in them and, and build in their character for life. Sure. And I think it's really important to instill in kids that confidence that they can work through an obstacle, right? They, they can get around this, they can get over this, they can get through and pass and to keep at it, you know, and that it's not, it's always temporary, right? Nothing's really going to last forever. And so if we bring to bear that idea that it's something we're going to work through this together, 
or you have these abilities, we're going to draw from what you're really good at. You remember how great you are on the baseball team, you know, so school might not be going so well today, but just think you did so great in the game or, you know, um, just draw from their strengths and help them recognize their strengths and then they can move forward and become more resilient as well. I like that a lot. And it makes me think of how with kids, sometimes we as parents, we sign them up for multiple activities or activities we want them in. And and I think it's good to go back to just really sitting down with your child and just finding out what their interest, interests are, which might be different than yours, but be okay with providing something that they, they kind of like, even if it is a little different to us at times, um, but really letting them do what they love because where they, where they love it, they will thrive at it. And you're right, they're gonna learn all of those skills Uh, perseverance and they're going to learn, you know, they're going to face something hard, but they'll get through it in maybe a different way because it's within something that they love. And I like how you make that connection. So your book offers four skill sets, which we can develop to improve both our work and personal lives, actually. Can you give us an overview of these and highlight a few key ideas and maybe what research you drew from to help us with these skills? Sure. Uh, So the book is divided into four parts. Um, I talk about a few different skill sets with soft skills, uh, communications, empathy, values-based real uh, prioritization, and resilience. So communications, uh, that section uh, draws a lot from uh, some of the research on cognitive bias, which, um, you know, these are kind of uh, rules of thumb that our brain jumps to sort of in an an area of the idea of conserving cognitive energy, right? So our brain makes assumptions and we have some biases that we're, we bring to any situation. So uh, a lot of that is very helpful to be aware of when we're in a communication setting so that we can be aware of our own preconceived notions, um, might be aware of the other baggage the other person brings along with them too. Um, and knowing how that is influencing our perception of what they're saying and their perceptions of us. So kind of bias, uh, some of the researchers there, uh, I draw from Daniel Kahneman and Stavrosky, they've done you know decades of research in this area and it, it's really helpful with communications. Um, there's other uh, research uh, in terms of empathy and eliciting empathy. And so there's specific behaviors that we can do that draw and invite, um, draw out a speaker and invite a connection and create understanding. So I I talk a lot about what we can do as listeners to actively participate in a conversation and make it a two-way interaction. It's quite different than, you know, giving a speech or a lecture or, you know, um, other forms of communication. But when we're talking about a conversation, it's really important to to make it bi-directional. And so, so we have, you know, uh, a number of folks who talk about empathy and and I uh, bring in the ideas of uh, body language and how body language not only influences other people's perception of us, but how we think of ourselves. And so this is really kind of groundbreaking research in social psychology coming out. Um, people like uh, Amy Cuddy and and um, Susan Fisk, they've they've done all kinds of studies that um, I bring forward in my coaching and in the book. Um, and the next section has to do with values-based prioritization. And it's a fancy term, basically, I coined uh, to mean that, you know, we need to really identify our values and our goals and have that out front and center. And that is the basis upon which we 
weigh everything that's competing for our time and attention and to determine whether it's really something we want to spend our time doing, right? Is it going to advance us to our goal? Is it helping us on our mission, whatever that mission is? So um, a long story short, that value-based prioritization is something we can do to better manage our time because everybody is so busy these days. And it's sometimes it's hard to say no, but when we know what we're trying to do and where we're headed, it's easier to say no to things that maybe aren't going to help us at this time to get in those, um, to get along that path. And uh, the last part of the book is, is perhaps my favorite part of the book, and that is um, the section on resilience. And these are uh, behaviors that are based on the latest research in positive psychology. It has very much to do with uh, things that we do that can actually open our mind to creativity, to problem solving, to taking more information, um, and experiencing positive emotion in all kinds of ways, whether it's you know out and out love or something as simple as humor, you know, with a joke. Uh, but there's many, many ways that we can elicit positive emotion in ourselves and it accumulates and it grows so much, it builds us into better people, into better parents, into better spouses, into better employees or leaders. Um, so I really, I love that. I bring in the work of um, Barbara Fredson, um, <clears throat> Checks and Mihaly, he does such tremendous research on the concept of a flow state where we're immersed in an activity of our own choosing that we're good at. It's challenging. It's so immersive that we forget the passage of time. Um, so I invite readers and, and my clients when I'm coaching to think about what do they do that brings flow a flow state to them. And if they can't remember, we go back in the calendar and we look for, you know, if you have to go back, hopefully not years, but sometimes people have kind of let go of activities that they used to uh, derive a state of flow from. So we try to bring them back on a regular basis. So there's a lot we can do to build our resilience and the research, it's really fairly new, you know, within the last 20 years, um, the, the concept of um, the field of positive psychology has grown so much and mostly because there are technological advances that have made it possible to study what's going on in the brain. So for example, the functional MRI and now allows us to locate and identify what's happening in the brain, what areas light up when we read a funny story, or if we read a sad story, or if we are doing a difficult math problem or a task that involves um, spatial skills or something. So we can identify this. Now we have the empirical research that supports how these behaviors can actually help us and, and um, sustain um, difficulties or, or hardship. So uh, the functional MRI, the PET scan, there's a lot of biotech now that we can measure hormonal levels and um, different uh, you know, activities of neurotransmitters in the brain. So all of this I bring forward in the section on positive psychology. And, and that's actually my probably my favorite part of the book. And how would you define positive psychology for like the layman's terms? Sure. Um, well, so when you think about psychology and the evolution of the field, uh, you know, a lot of it started out anecdotally about, you know, particularly mental illness and, you know, what, what um, clinicians observed, let's say, uh, in uh, people who were suffering with a mental illness. Um, you know, from that position, we went to, you know, the behaviorists who were studying, you know, like the Pavlonian conditioning and things like that, um, you know, very, uh, you know, action reaction type of um, 
phenomenon in, in the way of behaving. Uh, then we went to the idea of studying some of the negative emotions. And frankly, when I started as an undergrad, that was the, the thing that people were studying in the field of psychology. They were studying prejudice or they were studying anger or aggression. Um, so some of these negative emotions. And so, uh, you know, that carried us through till say, you know, the early um, 80s, I would say into the 90s. And then with these advances in the technology, we started seeing some of the same researchers who were studying the negative emotions turn their attention to positive emotions, like what actually makes us healthy individuals, what makes us happy, what makes us productive, what motivates us. So this is all encompassing um, the idea of positive psychology. So not really just looking at mental illness, we're looking at mental wellness or well-being. So um, I find it really exciting. I'm really glad I got back into the field after this has started because I find it so challenging um, to see you know, what we can do with it. We can take it a lot further. We're really just scratching the surface. Yeah, because the more guests that I am researching and inviting on my podcast, I follow the Live Happy Now podcast and she brings on positive psychologists and now you know I'm seeing them in so many different areas and, and it keeps popping up and I'm like, wait a second, the happiness lab, like this new course at Harvard, like that's free. Like they are, there was a real focus and shift on it. And I love it because, well, I'm just an optimistic person who is very happy and I want to create that for everybody, the lives that I touch. And so I, I really appreciate you taking a minute to really explain that to us, to, to help us understand that a little bit more. Um, and then going back to your book, uh, I know it kind of comes from the angle of leaders, you know, when they're having issues with employees and helping them to build their skills to create that environment that's really just um, very collaborative, uh, where sometimes you don't even realize you're saying or doing something that's coming across a certain way, that kind of is like a roadblock to getting ahead together in an organization, a corporation, or just a group or a team. And I love how in your book, at the end of each chapter, you have exercises to practice, which I was doing myself this week. And you say that learning to better communicate has lasting implications for our overall health and well-being, which totally grabbed my attention. And you have a communications awareness exercise, uh, which I was really reflecting on for myself. Can you share for our listeners a little bit about that exercise? Because I really think it's something that could help moms, even when they're communicating with their kids, when they are or aren't having a challenging moment. Sure. Uh, so uh, throughout the book, I talk about how self-awareness is a springboard for change, right? So with any any challenge that we're facing we really need to take a current state analysis to borrow a term from software development um, so where are we now right so to understand what the current state of our affairs is in other words what is our behavior what are our what are we doing well what are we not doing so well um, where would we like to improve so when we do that kind of framework about where we're starting and where we would like to be setting a vision for you know, better communication behaviors that we want to exhibit. Maybe, for example, um, we uh, don't like how, uh, you know, when we speak with our child in a difficult conversation, we cross our arms and we have a scowl on our face. 
and our body language is really um, not inviting, right? So if we recognize that and we're self-aware of that behavior that we want to change, then that positions us to start to measure improvement, which is extremely accountable in, in coaching. We're all about accountability, right? So you need to know if you're improving and you need to make adjustments so that you keep you know, improving. Um, so what we can do is identify, okay, I don't want to have that scowl on my face. What can I do? What can I do otherwise? Well, one of the things you can do is create alternatives. So I don't want to scowl. So maybe I'll smile or maybe I will, um, you know, try to keep a little reminder myself about all the wonderful qualities of my child so that I don't concentrate on this negative thing that just happened. Right. So whatever those are, if you can come up with your own alternatives, you're much more likely to follow them. So the exercise has um, has people thinking about a conversation of their own that may have just happened um, with their child or spouse or whoever, but let's say with the child and they've identified something they didn't like about what they did and maybe, you know, didn't influence a conversation positively. So um, when they write this down on a card, uh, I guess it, they write it down on a, on the left side of an index card or a post-it note and on the other side, uh, they write alternatives. They write, you know, what else am I going to do? If I'm not going to scowl, I got to come up with something else, right? Um, so uh, these reminders are, you know, something that we've tangibly written down. So that gives a little more credibility, right? We've written it down. It's kind of something we can look at and pick up and hold. But uh, what I encourage people to do is post it somewhere where they're going to see it on a regular basis, on the refrigerator, on the bathroom mirror, on their screensaver, on their computer, wherever they know they're going to see it, the dashboard, something like that. Um, and so it's a constant reminder. OK, this is what I was doing. This is what I'd rather be doing. And so we start to internalize those behaviors. And so focusing on one activity like that a week, one behavior that we want to change, we can work towards it and we kind of see how we're progressing. And if we need to, we do it for another week or a third week. Uh, usually by around three weeks, we've developed a habit or starting to establish a habit. So it gets a little more like second nature. Um, and then we can work through that. You know, if you've identified five things that you didn't like about the conversation, five things you want to change. So you write each one of those down on a card with alternatives, with positive alternatives, and then work on those until you've really become the better communicator that you want to be. And I could even see kind of practicing that strategy with kids. Where, like, what are you doing well? What isn't so well? What do you want to do better at? Like with, with, with any issue that they might face in school or, or at home. Okay, so I, I'm going to step out on a limb here and see if you can help me with this one. Let's play the scenario that does happen. The kid comes home. They're upset. They're crying. Something happened at school. And the parent calls, sometimes, you know, me, the principal, and they're like, you know, this happened, I can't believe it, you know, and maybe it involved the teacher or another kid, you know, and, 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 and there's, they're upset as well. I mean, there's a lot of emotion right there. What in everything that you share, study and, 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 and teach people, what's something that could help a parent maybe listening if that happens to them even this school year? Sure. Um, so certainly when a child is com coming home upset, the parent's allegiance is with the child and, and should be supporting the child and trying to uh, understand from the child perspective what happened. Um, but 
in doing so, we can get caught up in the moment too, right? And so then we we might become stressed, angry, upset, what have you. Um, and one of the biggest steps we can take in any conversation to move it to a more uh, positive level is to pause. The pause is the most underutilized and yet very easily accessible tool that we can use in a conversation, particularly a diff difficult conversation. So in this case, you might wait a little while before calling the principal or before calling the teacher and saying, you know, what happened with Johnny today? It, give yourself a chance to think through what your child told you and also what might have happened, you know, what what you would want to see um, come about to rectify the situation or to get to the bottom of it. So I feel like the pause is it's almost like a timeout for parents. Right. So, um, you know, when we take a pause, when we spend 15 minutes gathering our thoughts, what happens is the intensity of the emotion we give ourselves a chance to cool down, right? And we can even tell our child, okay, we're gonna we're gonna try to cool off. I'm I'm upset about this. You're upset about that. We're gonna cool off for 15 minutes, and we're gonna then talk about it again. And in doing so, the child has a chance to calm themselves. You have a chance to calm yourself and talk about it again. Uncover some facts, and then you make the call to the principal, the other parent, the teacher, whoever it is. Um, and then you're better prepared to speak with them, to have a forward focus so that, you know, what do we do to move forward? What do we do to rectify the situation? Help me understand what happened. Um, so, so it's much more of a problem solving conversation at that point than a um, defensive uh, mechanism. So I feel like the pause is probably the best solution I can offer that's going to work in so many situations to help the conversation um, go start out on a positive note. Yeah. And I love that phrase. Help me understand. Because when we do end up talking to the teacher, it's helpful to know what they were going through in that moment, what they observed or didn't observe, you know, and it just helps, like you said, to let's problem solve. And I really like that you shared it. Thank you for sharing that. I also like how you brought up the point in your book that no matter if I said seven positive things to you, it is that one positive criticism, right? That we just hope we're hyper-focused on and that's all we can think about. And so as parents, help us understand like how we can say the same thing. Maybe it has to be a different way because sometimes we will stop and reflect and be like, oh man, I use the word like you never X, Y, and Z or you always. And I know you give us ways to like reframe that and think differently. So can you give us a few examples of that? Sure. Um, so our language patterns uh, really influence what um, the tone of a conversation, right? So when we have uh, absolutes like always or never, we kind of pigeonhole someone, right? So if you tell your child, I've, you know, you never put your toys away, right? And, and so what is that, what kind of message are you giving? I think what you're probably wanting to say is, let's come up with a solution so that, you know, we, we clean up when we need to. Um, and rather than accusatory behavior or accusatory statements, we can offer solutions. And you might rephrase that and say something like, we're going to establish a house rule now. So before dinner, we're going to pick up all the toys 
and put them in the bin. So it gives a very clear time frame. It sets an expectation. And you're saying from this point forward, right? So maybe that's not what happened in the past, but it gives your child some uh, sense of possibility. Oh, I can change my behavior. Now this is the rule. I'm going to follow this. Um, and it also isn't placing blame, right? So even though you might have been praising your child, if you start hollering about you never pick up your toys, uh, they, they're they going to concentrate on that because our brains are pre-wired to focus on negative threats. And it's an evolutionary paradigm where, you know, in early human days, we had to worry about physical threats in our environment, right? We had to worry about wild animals and, and being hyper vigilant for threats to us in the physical environment uh, meant the difference between survival and death, right? So now we don't have to worry about wild animals necessarily on our way to school, but we do have plenty of negativity in the environment, in our physical environment, and you know what we hear, what we see going on, and so um, our brains still have that, you know, those primitive um, tendencies to focus on the negative. So what we try to do in our speech, particularly, is use a more positive alternative. So establishing the house rule might be one way to frame it in such a way that it's not a criticism. It's just, okay, from now on, this is what I want to see happen. You're clearly imparting information so the child knows how to move forward in a positive way. Um, you're, you're not accusing. It's kind of neutral fact finding. Okay, this is what we're going to do from now, from now on. Um, so it's just another way of reframing which is a tool they use in cognitive behavior therapy um, to reframe situations into a more positive light. And we can all move forward and adopt new behaviors to replace some of the ones that were undesirable. And I think when you also take the time to pause, it gives you a that time to actually say something with less emotional charge than you probably would have if you hadn't paused, like, you know, they say in 10 seconds, your brain literally moves from a one, one spot to another spot, which is why I sometimes have kids like count to 10, take your three deep breaths with me. And then when they look calm and in control of their bodies, I'm like, okay, help me understand like what was up with that, that just happened. So let's take a scenario where a child does something that we don't like, and we start to get frustrated, upset and angry. We're tensed and, and stressed. What's important here in regards to de decreasing our stress and using I statements with your child. So, okay. Um, so I statements are a way for us to own our emotions and take responsibility for our emotions. So um, when something uh, happens that we're not happy about um, with our children, we can't, we're not mind readers, right? We can't really know what might've been going through their mind if they did something, maybe something that we specifically told them not to do. But we can speak for ourselves and we can own up to I'm really angry that you did something that we had clearly talked about yesterday. OK, so you might, um, you know, you tell them how you feel. Um, you might be uh, so angry that you really don't want to react in that sense of anger. So you could offer um, uh, you could offer a statement like this. I'm trying to cool down and I need to cool down for maybe 15 minutes and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it. So again, bringing in that pause, giving yourself time to do that emotional centering and, and defuse the situation. So you've absorbed what, what happened. 
Um, you're giving your child a very definitive time frame. I'm coming back in 15 minutes. We're going to talk about it. They're not hanging on indefinitely worrying. Oh, my gosh, what's mom going to do? You're giving them very clear. And of course, that would have to be age appropriate. You know, a five year old versus a 15 year old, a different time frame might be. But what you're doing is enabling yourself to gather your resources. Right. What do you have in your toolkit that you can build from? One is you can. Uh, own up to your feelings, which I encourage parents to share with their children on an age appropriate level. Um, but also you are then going into a forward solution um, perspective and not, you know, rehashing the past, placing blame or any of that. You really just want the improved behavior to be the end result, right? So you can start thinking about how we're going to get there. So in that 15 minutes, you may have already come up with some some ideas and you're showing your child that it's OK to be angry, which children get angry. And we don't want to tell them you can never be angry because that's just not human life. You know, we we all have emotions, good and bad. Right. And so what's good is how to deal with that anger. Right. And so if we're modeling that for our children, they are better able to emulate it and learn perhaps how to manage anger when they have it, you know, taking time to cool down, coming back to it, thinking about solutions. So I feel that that would be a good way to, to uh, reduce the parent's stress. Also, it puts less stress on the child and you can both work together towards rectifying the situation. I really like how you were saying that you're a model for your kid. And whether we realize it or not, like they're watching us and they they learn from us. And even if you're not specifically saying to them, do you see what I'm doing? I'm taking a breath and then you're going to take a breath when this happens to you. Like the fact that you're doing that all on your own and just exactly how you walked us through that. I, I was just thinking in my head, that child is just learning and watching and they might not show you that right away, but at some point in some place, it's going to come through that they're going to either be doing it because they, they watched it happen so much and they realize that's normal and that's the way you handle a situation. And that's that's so valuable. That's what we, we want to be able to teach our kids these things. So as we're learning it, look, that's so exciting that your kids are picking up on this stuff as well. And if you haven't been doing these skills and strategies, <laughs> you might be feel, facing a little bit of burnout. And I just want to take a minute to talk about that because that's such a huge problem, not only in the workplace, but sometimes even at home. And what's the key to A, not getting burned out? And what's one thing we can start or maybe we should stop doing to avoid burnout? So burnout, and it's, of course, a growing phenomenon, um, particularly with all the challenges people experienced recently with the pandemic and um, changes, you know, in, in the workplace and at home and school situations. Uh, but burnout um, is a real imbalance in the sense of what's within our control and what is not within our control. So I feel like when we get burnt out, we've kind of blurred those lines and we may have lost any sense of control when things are spinning out of control we feel like we have no control over anything and that's that's the um thought process that needs to change because there are certainly things that you can control you can't control a bad situation you can't control the pandemic you can't control uh you know the volatile situation at schools you know with you know remote and then back and, and so forth. But you can control and it's perfectly within our own control of how we react to these situations. And so, um, it, you know, in coaching and, and in the book, I write about taking back that control because that's where 
we can start to master our environment. And it goes back to that idea of autonomy. There are things we can do, right? We, we are competent individuals. We have solutions in our own brain that we can carry forward to these situations. So it's kind of a recentering where we get back to what's within our control and what can I do about it? You know, what can I change my attitude about it? Can I change how I behave? Can I change um, my situation? So recognizing that control is, is important. But also there's another thing we can do and that is take better care of ourselves. And particularly with busy parents, the children, you know, they're demanding and there's a lot you doing for your children and you want to involve them. And, and so, you know, they have activities and, you know, they might be playing two or three sports and dance and piano and what have you. But what are you doing for yourselves, parents? Right. So so I bring it back to what are you doing to keep yourself up so that when things get tough, you don't fall apart, right? So it's important to bring back these uh, restorative activities, things that we like just because we like doing them. You know, whether it's an old hobby, we have to resurrect, whether it's, you know, connecting with people, getting together with their neighbors out in the street, you know, six feet apart, whatever it is that we need to do to restore ourself, will only go, that'll just go so far with our children, right? Because first of all, they'll see that self-care is a good thing. They will either be, modeling that behavior that we want children to do self-care as well, right? And not have to resort to, you know, maybe some other um, negative ways of coping, right? So, um, you know, bringing that sense of control and also choosing activities that restore you on a regular basis so that you don't get to the point where you're physically burned out and have exhausted all your possibilities. There was a recent training that I was participating in and they were talking, it was all about self-care and two phrases have stuck with me that I keep saying over and over to myself and, and to those around me, check in early and check in often. And if you just check in with yourself, like, how am I feeling? Okay, I'm feeling really tight in my shoulders because it's a lot of stress right now or it's been a really busy morning. Okay, I'm just going to go to my office. I'm just going to sit and just, just relax and consciously relax, like whatever it is. And it could be like a two-minute thing, but it's just the simple fact of being aware and, and checking in early and often and, and then actually like doing one little thing about it that, that you could possibly realistically do within your day might not be able to book a massage that day or, or what have you sometimes I, I think we think of these like big things of like you know well I don't have an hour to like, like go run in the park or whatever or or maybe you do but but just even starting just noticing that I think it's so important for us to just really check in check in early and often and and do one thing to just notice and help relieve something that you're experiencing or feeling so how can parents Maybe there's guardians, grandparents, teachers listening to this. How can they use your book for themselves and in raising happy, healthy kids and students? Well, the book is really written for those who, um, you know, want to make improvements, right? And uh, the idea was to bring coaching to people who maybe otherwise would never even consider coaching or maybe they have no access. Uh, but the skill sets are something to be applied anywhere in our families, in our communities, in our workplace. Um, so, you know, if we build our skills, then we're better able to model them for our families and for our children. So that's one thing we can do 
for our kids. Just start learning or developing, honing what you already have. Everyone's starting someplace, right? Some people may have really advanced communication skills already. However, there's always more we can be doing. We can become that better communicator. It's one thing to know what to do, but another thing to practice it and to execute it, right? So sometimes that's where the difficulty is, is executing it on a regular basis, on a consistent basis, so it becomes habit. So um, trying, trying out some of the techniques, becoming more self-aware was a huge uh, belief throughout the book that that will help you on your path forward. Um, and also the fact that we, um, the belief that we can change, we have the power within us to learn these things. These are measurable techniques. These are things that we can learn, we can teach others, we can practice, and we can continue to get better. It's a strategy. It's a sustainable strategy. Um, and there's no end point, really. You don't. You shouldn't ever consider that, okay, I've mastered that, I'm moving on. No, we're always evolving, right? And we evolve as people, as parents, as, as uh, team members in a workplace. So one thing is um, demonstrating it so that our children can be um, emulate what we've learned. Um, and I also think that I use, you know, a lot of workplace and adult situation examples in the book, but those could be tailored to a child appropriate discussion, right? So for, think about um, it, the language skills. So for a child, you might uh, describe to them, do you notice how uh, when you speak to grandma, you know, we're always making sure we're using our manners and we we use more formal language than, say, when we're texting our friends. Right. So if you're pointing out the differences in style of communicating, that's a, an example a child might be able to relate to. Right. So you could take examples from the book and tailor them to a situation that the child would better understand. And so they can start learning early on. Um, um, through some examples that you can share with them. But also, uh, it's important to know that these skills can be brought home and, and taught at home. Uh, they certainly can be taught in schools. Um, I've seen uh, in South Adelaide, Australia, for example, they brought in a positive psychology program to the public school system. And this is going back eight or nine years. And they were training children as as young as kindergarten age to, wow. um, you know, in self-care and resilience and, and some of these skills that build the children so that by the time they hit adolescence, they had a toolkit ready to deal with some of the hardships that come along with that, you know, the teenage years. And and I see it in the workplace. I have adults coming to me who really never, ever reflected on their own behaviors. I mean, they really hadn't had an opportunity or, or never really did it before. So if we can start teaching kids early, why not? You know, let's let's try to introduce it at, at home, if not in the schools. And and I know it's being done here. Some of the charter school systems, KIPP program, for example, they have a positive psychology program that they have brought in. Um, so it, I think, uh, you know, if we are uh, aware of the benefits, we can A, emulate it, or model it so our children emulate it, emulate it and B, um, teach them, take advantage of teachable moments. If you see a situation where something didn't go so well or something went really well, you can analyze it with your child, discuss it and talk about alternatives. And you would be amazed at how insightful children can be. And they, they really come up are. with some great solutions that you might not have thought of. So this is so great too, to have mm. them 
come up with things on their own, they're more likely to follow through and to actually adopt those behavior. So yep. I've uh, seen that happen. Those are the two agree. ways I think that a parent or a guardian or a teacher or anyone can influence a child with these soft skills. Yes. And even when I was reading the book, I was thinking, oh, wait, I could totally think of something in the classroom that happened or something that a parent could use with their child. I thought they were easily, um, you could, you could um, connect them in that way, um, as, as well as your own personal, just reflecting on you and your communication. Uh, I didn't make it through the first chapter and I was like, oh, let me think about what I said last week to my husband or, (laughs) and it was really, really helpful. Um, So as we are, kids are preparing to come back to school next week. I know kids who are terrified that they're going to come back and they're going to get COVID. I've got kids who are completely excited and happy. And, and we, the teachers and I have been training and, and talking all week long of how we're going to create this safe and, and, and supportive environment to really empathize with them and um, figure out what we need to be for them to help them. What would you say to a parent who might have a child who's, who's struggling with that right now? Maybe there's just some, some words you can leave with them today. I would say the the biggest thing is to open the line of communication. So encourage your child to tell you what they're feeling, uh, share your apprehensions, um, you know, and and kind of uh, go back to that whole idea of let's voice it and then we can deal with it, right? But if it's not voiced, we don't really know what we're dealing with and we may be taking steps that make it worse, exacerbate the problem. Uh, exaggerate the fears. So, um, so let's get it out there and have a frank discussion with your children about what what's bothering them, what's on their mind, what are they what are they excited about, what are they a little bit worried about possibly. And you can also share your own concerns. I mean, obviously, you don't want to alarm a child, but you could say, yeah, you know, we thought about that, and we're we're trying, you know, we're taking every step that we can, you know, and we're taking these precautions. So you can reassure the child that, you know, we're doing everything within our power. And so I I think that bit of reassurance along with the frank discussion shows that vulnerability. And I think parents, you know, and teachers, you know, really, um, if they share that vulnerability that they have with a child, I think the child can relate and, and not see it as a, an adult or children thing. It's it's this is what people do. We share things, we communicate, we connect together and together we can work for uh, walk forward into a better place. Yeah, I love how you, you just said, like, just talk it out and, and say it like hear them because you're right or we assume what they're thinking and then it goes back to that autonomy okay what can we control well today we can control that you're going to wash your hands here and you're going to wash your hands there and then remember how we like so you give them something that they can do that they know how to do which helps them kind of live through that moment of that thought of fear right Yeah. yeah the behaviors and i think this is really one of the key takeaways from my book is that by doing things, we can actually make change, right? So we can change how we think about something because when you once you start doing the hand washing, let's say, you your mind is on that task, right? So you're not dwelling on the worry of the virus or what have you. You've already got something your your mind is attending to. So it's beneficial in that regard. And we do this a lot, um, you know, with people who dwell on negative thoughts. It's like acknowledge the thought, then take that opportunity to pivot and do something else 
and that something else will take your mind off it. And when you take your mind off it, you're not dwelling and running that um, negative thought constantly through your brain on an endless loop and drilling it in so it gets worse and worse and worse and ingrained, right? So when we acknowledge it, we pivot. Some people say drop it to the floor, whatever, whatever acronym or little mantra you need, but to remind yourself to just move forward, pivot and move forward in another direction. And sometimes that's an active activity like hand washing or, you know, wiping something down whatever, whatever you're physically doing can actually uh, divert your thought process. And it's very, very beneficial. Mm, that's so good. It reminds me of a phrase that, that I heard. It says, it's just a thought and a thought can be changed. So I'm just going to change my thought. And it's like, oh, wait, it, it seems so simple, but sometimes it seems so hard. Um, well, Gina, thank you so much for a writing this book that is already helping change and improve my life. I'm so excited and I can't wait to just share it with as many people as I know and just help get the word out like this is awesome. Thank you. This is such a, an amazing work that you have put together. Um, so I just want to thank you on behalf of all the people out there who, who, will, who will read this book, who have read this book. And thank you so much for coming on today and just sharing this with us. I think it's so helpful uh, for moms, parents, teachers, even I've got guardians, grandparents who listen to this. And it's just so helpful. And, um, and yeah, thanks for helping us just take our steps along this path and and give us pointers today. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's all we've got for this episode of the Momnificent Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be honored if you would subscribe and rate if you really liked it. I know wherever you're listening right now, it might not be the best time to leave a comment, but feel free to leave a question, a review, or a comment at any time. And until next time, remember, don't worry, be happy.